Jeremy has asked me to introduce the next sermon series entitled Disciple Making in the 21st Century. The big question or idea will be, what is a disciple? Perhaps the best place to begin this introduction would be with the first disciples in the book of Acts. This sermon series will focus on four components of discipleship and church life, namely fellowship, connecting with other followers of Jesus, service, using gifts and abilities to fulfill ministry needs, investment, giving regularly and cheerfully to gospel work, and growth, inviting others to hear the good news. So the first component of discipleship and church life, connecting with other followers of Jesus. This was greatly enhanced with the coming of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus in Acts 1, 4, and 5. And I'm just going to make sure we don't have Genesis up there. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, this morning's a little different. And Okay, let's just pray for the kids before you go then. Sorry. Uh, Father, we thank you for these children. Um, they are the promise of the future. And we thank you so much for children and all that they teach us. And we pray now that as they go downstairs and their teachers lead that... Um, your Holy Spirit will guide them and, and bring them to the place in their lives where you want them to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it's good to get interrupted, I guess. Especially when I should have done it before. I never even thought about it. Okay, where was I? Yeah, I'm going to repeat them. Repetition, the best teacher. So the first component of discipleship in church life is connecting with other followers of Jesus. And as I said, this was greatly enhanced with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So connecting with each other was going to be greatly strengthened by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to have wonderful conversations with each other sometimes. Um, good, where was I? Yes. Following this, Acts 2, 42 to 47, tells us what those connections or fellowship looked like. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A pastor once told me we are all fellows in the same ship. Talking about fellowship, little play on words there. And um, indeed we are. The second component of discipleship and church life is service, using gifts and abilities to fulfill ministry needs. This speaks of both humility and generosity. Let's turn to John 13, verses 1 to 15. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. God, the creator of the universe, washed the disciples' feet. And reading verse 15 again, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now the third component of discipleship and church life, investment, giving regularly and cheerfully to gospel work. What is the greatest investment you or I could make in the kingdom of God? Our lives. That was a big bang, wasn't it? So I was asking the question, what is the greatest investment you or I could make in the kingdom of God? Our lives. First, let's ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of God? It is that of which he is the king. And what is that? It is everything and everyone around us. 
And what is my life? It is all that I am. It is all that God has made me. So to invest my life in God's kingdom, how much of my life am I willing to give? Jeremy will be asking us that. An appropriate scripture for this component, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God made us with a built-in response which kicks in when we invest our time, talents, or finances in a particular place. Our hearts will follow and take up residence in that place. The fourth component of discipleship and church life, growth. Inviting others to hear the good news. Please turn to Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We learn here that the church was being built up, was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. It was growing not only numerically, but in deep fellowship with God and with each other. Let's look at John 8.31 together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We are truly disciples of Jesus if we abide or remain in his word. Jesus was speaking here to a small group made up of individuals who had believed in him. So, individuals and small groups, that's us, are to remain in Jesus' words. Lastly, please turn to Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As followers of he who has all authority in heaven and on earth, we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, including this nation. Jeremy will be asking you next week, what is a disciple? I hope this short introduction has primed the pump for you to begin to answer that question. Thank you. Um, Hank's going to come up and lead us in communion now, if he can work his way out of that row there.
I'd sit down, but I can't talk sitting down. My hands hit this thing and whatever. How many of you know where the communion service, uh, where we, the place in the Bible where we take the communion service from? 11? It's close. 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When was the night he was betrayed? And we have to go back to, way back into the Gospels, and we find them in the first three Gospels of the story. In fact, we had it up here uh, on the screen a little bit ago. He instituted this, which he gave to the Apostle Paul, uh, back in the Gospels. And it was a certain time of the year. It was the Passover, the Passover feast, which the Israelites were supposed to keep yearly on the 14th day of the first month. And starting then, and they kept that. When did it originate? Way back. Way, way back. God called Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to take you from Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm going to give you land. And Abraham believed God. He traveled, and God took him to the land of Canaan, put him on a mountain, and says, now take a look. All that you see, I will give to you, and your offspring will be like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And Abraham said, thank you, Lord. Abraham's grandson, by the name of Jacob, then came around, and he had 12 sons. Remember that, right? And uh, ten, once... Two sons stayed home. Ten sons looked after the flocks and whatever needed to be done out in the field. And one day, Jacob said to his uh, one of his favorite sons, Joseph, and he says, go check up on the sons, on my, the rest of the sons, what they're doing. And somehow or other, as you're well aware, uh, those of you who read that portion of Scripture, that uh, they weren't enamored with uh, Joseph. They sort of were at odds with them. And so when Joseph showed up, they said, hey, here's the favorite son. He's going to, you know, he's had dreams and so on. Let's kill him. Well, Judah, Judah came along and said, no, that's not a good idea. Let's just, uh, you know, let's put him in a pit. And then, um, But while Judah was gone, they sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites, who then took him into Egypt and he became a slave in Egypt. And you know the rest of the story, how that Joseph, uh, God looked after Joseph and lifted him up to become second in command in the nation of Egypt. And he was the second most powerful person there. A famine came. 
Joseph then brought his dad, Jacob, and all his brothers and his fam- their families, 70 people in all, into Egypt. And he says, come live here. We've got lots of food here. And they did. And then 430 years later, he led them out of Egypt. It's quite a while. Somewhere in that 430 years, uh, the Israelites lost uh, favor with the Egyptians, and the Egyptians said, hey, there's too many of them. Let's do something about this. And they made them slaves, so we'll make them work for us. And they made them slaves, and and they were in slavery for a long time. But God already had a plan. Before, probably 80 years before that 430 years was up, he had chosen somebody by the name of Moses. And Moses was to be a deliverer of the people of Israel because God had promised them a land, right, through Abraham. And they weren't there. So Moses came along and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, sorry. Nine plagues, starting with the first one. Water turned to blood, right? And then the ninth one, darkness over all the so you couldn't over all the land of Egypt, so you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And still Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And then he says, One more to Moses, one more, and he'll let you go. In fact, they'll push you out of Egypt. And that is I am going to kill all the firstborn of man and beast in the land of Egypt. Starting at the house of Pharaoh to the lowest servant. And where were, where were the Israelites? They were in the land of Egypt. Would the same fate fall on them? Absolutely. But God says to the Israelites, and I assume that if any of the Egyptians had done the same thing, they would have been safe as well. He said, I want you to take a lamb for every house and kill it. Take off the blood and take some hyssop and smear it on the doorposts of your doors So up and down and over, and that covered the whole thing. And on a certain night, I'm going to come over Egypt, and as the destroyer, the angel of death, and I shall, every firstborn in every house, in every stable shall die. Except... When I see the blood, I shall pass over that house. There won't be any death in that particular house. Where does this come from, by the way? Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death, right? They, the Israelites, were 
delivered from death because of the blood that was applied, the blood of the lamb that was applied. And he said to the Israelites, now, keep this as a memorial feast as to commemorate what I've done for you here in the land of Egypt. And they did. Every year, on the 14th day of the month, first month, they were supposed to gather together in Jerusalem and commemorate the Passover, where God passed over the houses of, of the Israelites, and they were safe. That was the feast at which Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they were commemorating. And we read about it in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, way near the back there. In fact, I have it on a sheet of paper here. I'll read it from there. He said, now, it's Passover time. I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you all before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not anymore eat thereof until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then likewise, also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament or the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. What happened on the old Passover? The old Passover, what happened there was that God says, I'm making a new covenant with you. Right? And we have a new covenant given to the Israelites. And they were supposed to be God's representation upon earth. And the Passover was to commemorate something special that the Lord had done for him. He had brought them from death into life, so to speak. And the communion does exactly the same thing. Now, that, first, that last communion that the Lord Jesus had with the disciples was a transition point. That was the last Passover that the disciples had in that way, so to speak. Because what happened? The next day, Jesus Christ was crucified. He shed his blood. Remember when he started his ministry, he walked out into the valley of the Jordan, and there was a hairy fellow prophet speaking there, and he pointed to him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And that is what we commemorate in the communion. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have now a new covenant. And that's what the communion is all about.